Hi everyone, welcome to James Talks. Great to be with you again today. I'm really excited today. Got a, a very, very special guest today. Um, Glenn Doyle Melton is with me, otherwise known as Monastery. Um, some of you might have heard of her. Uh, she's written um, a couple of books now. Um, one of them is called, the first one is called Carry On Warrior. Second one, new one is called Love Warrior. Um, she is, um, uh, Glenn is a writer and a speaker and a blogger and author and a human being and uh, she's really awesome so we're just gonna um so welcome Glennon. it's great to have you Hi. here thanks for having me um so yeah so just um just yeah introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a bit of your background and story and stuff yeah so i'm Glennon doyle melton um i'm a writer and a mom and um I don't know. Where's my? I, I started. I guess I'll I'll tell you about my background starting with when I got sober because that's when I started remembering things. So when about 14 years ago, I um yeah I just found myself sitting on a bathroom floor, which is where I find myself quite often. I've hit rock bottom several times in my life, but mm. um, I found myself just holding a positive pregnancy test. And it wasn't a happy moment for me because I'd been lost to alcohol addiction and food addiction and, and all the things for a decade and a half. And um, at the time, I'd done what a lot of addicts do. I think I just burned every bridge in my life. And um, I was just like so broken and so sick and so afraid. And um, still something about that test just kind of read as an invitation to come back to life. Hmm. So I went to my first meeting. I actually called my sister because that's what I do when I don't know what to do. I just called my sister and said, I got to get better. I finally have to get better and I don't know how. So 15 minutes later, she came to my house and picked me up off the floor and took me my first meeting, hmm. uh, which hmm. I just remember sitting in that circle hmm. at that first recovery meeting and listening to people tell their stories and just feeling home for the first time I just felt like these are the first freaking honest people I've met in my entire life like everyone else has been acting forever yeah. this is where the honest people come um, so I remember leaving that meeting and thinking okay maybe if I can do life this way like this honestly like the way the people were in this meeting yeah. maybe I can be a sober person you know but is that in the real world, no one's as honest as they are in recovery meetings, right? Yeah, that's true. So yeah. basically, I had to, you know, we all have to act, right? We have like a script and we're allowed to say four things and they usually have to do with the weather and what we're wearing. <laughs> um, but we're never allowed and how fine we are and how awesome yes. everything is. Like when somebody um, says they're fine, I usually take that as code just to mean they're not fine in any way. <laughs> who's fine you know everyone's either like so far behind or so far ahead of fine who wants to be fine yeah but that's what we say you know so I think my whole writing career has been just trying to find a place where I can be as honest as I could be an AA honestly I just wanted to make a, a community online where people could um just be brave enough to tell their stories and be kind enough to tell like handle other people's stories mm. you know in a gentle way so monastery is um basically it was just an effort to stay sober and sane i had three kids and a husband and i found life to be beautiful 
just incredibly hard relationships. There's no how is he pretending how and shiny it was, you know? Um, and if also you admitted that these relationships like marriage and parenting and faith and friendship were hard, it was like an admission of failure, which mm-hmm. is so weird because relationships are usually hardest for people who are doing them right, right? Who are like showing up mm-hmm. honestly and vulnerably and all of that. So, um, so I don't know, after a couple of tries with truth telling, I just had a, I had a, like a moment in church where I stood up and told my story to the whole church. Um, and it was like shocking to a lot of people because in church we're supposed to act like in church, we're supposed yeah. to act like everything's perfect, which is so freaking hilarious, right? Yeah, it's like it's God ridiculous. knows we're all jacked up, but we have to go in there yeah. and like smile and wear our best clothes and pretend yeah. like we didn't get the fight on the way to church. And like, it's like getting really dressed up for an x-ray. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So easy. Yeah, um, I know. So, but I told the truth at church one Sunday and, and it had like this really incredible effect on people and myself. Mm-hmm. And that's where I figured out that truth telling is like a key that can unlock people. So the day after that, I started Monastery. And I named it Monastery because at the time, being a mother was my main spiritual discipline. You know, that's where I found God. Um, and also because I'm obsessed with all faith traditions. And, I, and as like a rape introvert I'm scary. like these people who leave the real world because because the real world is like the rules in the real world are so harsh like the mm. way people treat each other and yeah. the loudness and the violence and the meanness like the whole doggy dog thing never worked for me because I'm a crazily sensitive person and an introvert so so these monasteries where these people who are like spiritually minded leave the real world mm. and drop into these communities but they don't become hermits they like find other spiritual beings who are committed to this um different way of life like an intentional way of living in community that has more quiet and more god and more spirit and more creativity and more freedom um so I thought, wouldn't it be cool to make a place like that online? Yeah. So that's when the story was born. Yeah. And then it just became this, like, place where people could just come tell the truth and laugh. And it's turned into this amazing community that's done a lot of healing work with each other and a lot of world healing work with the, with our nonprofit, with Together Rising. Hmm. So it's, like, the huge honor of my life to be um, yeah. a leader of that community. Yeah, it's an it's an awesome community. If you haven't checked it out, I definitely would recommend it. It's um, wow, yeah, just it's just so authentic. I mean, I hate using that word because it's become so jargony, hasn't it? But um, it is. It really is. It's just real, raw, honest, vulnerable. Um, no, no bullshit. You know, it's just um, it is how it is, and people can be real. And yeah. Um, and that's that's reflected not just on on the site but in your books as well, definitely. Um, that honesty, um, uh, yeah. And, we, and you're right about church. I mean, I I go to I, I love my 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 church community purely because we're not like that. You know, we're able to be honest about things. And you know, when we had a we had the referendum here, and it kind of divided our community. And so instead of hiding behind it, our pastor just stood up and talked about it. And just said, "This is not acceptable. We can't be a divided community about this." You know, 
like because people were just stopping talking to each other because of it. It was ridiculous. So, and yeah, isn't my, it amazing? Like, but but that's what happens at church. If we, because whatever happens with the personal happens with the universal. So like, if we talk about our stuff, like our painful stuff in our lives and in our families in church, then we're not going to talk about painful stuff in the world. That's why you walk into churches in this, in our country. And it'll be like the day after a shooting and the minister won't say a thing or like, you know, Mm. I mean, in churches, it's where we should be talking about the painful stuff going on in our world for sure. But we have to practice with our own personal lives. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the one place where we should be naked and unashamed. That's right. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I wrote in my, um, I've just finished a book and, um, writing a book and, in it, I talk about how church should be like an AA meeting, like where you just confront the truth. You just, you just say, you just go there, and it should be the one place you can be completely honest without any fear. You know, just like this is how it is. This is who I am. This is my life. You know, and there's no fear because we're all just accepted as we are by God in theory. You know, but whether that happens, whether that, whether that happens, whether that happens, by, whether that happens, whether we're completely unconditionally accepted by Christians unconditionally is a whole different question. Different, different, because religion is not God, right? Exactly. Yes, God is bigger than religion. Yeah, I think you said that in the book. Did you say that in the book? I think I read that somewhere. I'm sure I did because yeah. I like to say that at least three times a day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm all about grace. Yeah, that's my thing. Um, that's what the book, my book's about, actually. Um, um, yeah, grace. That you just that you're enough, you know. Um, totally. Yeah. So, um, wow. Um, so, tell us about um, this new book you've got coming out called Love Warrior. Um, I've been reading yeah. it. It's, un- it's unbelievable. It just I can't put it down. Literally, just so good. But just tell us what it's about. Go. Okay. Um, Love Warrior. So, Love Warrior, I guess, is the story of my second rock bottom. So, Carry On Warrior is the first rock bottom <laughs> when I, um, when I found out I was pregnant and decided to kind of trade my identity as a drunk and a bulimic for mom. I turned into a mom and a wife, mm-hmm. um, and a writer. And these were good things. You know, I had a good life. Um, and then one day I was, uh, in a therapy session with my husband and he revealed to me that he had actually been unfaithful to me our entire marriage, Mm. which was an utter shock to me. I didn't see it coming at all. Um, and so what happened is I just kind of went to another rock bottom, right? Mm. And this was a harder rock bottom to me because the way I experienced rock bottom is kind of like you get evicted from your life, right? If you're like going along with, this comfortable life and the universe just kind of hands you this eviction notice that says you're done life as you know, it is over. Mm. Um, so it's whatever, you know, divides your life into before and after. So some people will say it's the diagnosis or it's the phone call or it's the accident or it's the secret that was revealed. It's whatever, um, whatever means you can't go back to who you were before. Mm. Right. Yeah. Which, right. Which, which for me the first time was fine. Because I was being evicted from a life as a drunk and a bulimic and a druggie. So I was like, cool, good call. Like, I, my life sucks. That's fine. I will accept a new life and a new identity. But the second rock bottom was harder because I didn't want a different life. You know, I, I was a wife and a mom and a career woman. And I thought these things were good. But what I figured out is that they weren't good enough. 
right? That like we don't get evicted life or an identity unless we're being invited to claim a truer identity. And what's interesting, James, I don't know if this is true. For, I don't know anything about men, so I don't know if this is true for you or not. But what mm. women do is that we define ourselves by the roles we play. Okay, so if you ask a woman who she is, she'll tell you who she loves. Happens every time. So you ask a woman who she is and she'll say, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a teacher, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a career woman, which all of these things are amazing. This is what makes the world go round, right? But it's also why women live in fear. Mm. Because these are all things that can be taken from us. Yeah. Right? So if you identify solely as a wife, what happens if you leave? And if you identify solely as a mother, what happens when they go to college? And if you identify solely as a career woman, what happens when the company folds, right? So it's this constant fear of like, yeah, what if something goes wrong? It's like a constant waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think, I think, I think a lot of people, I think guys do that as well. We define, guys, I mean, I define myself by, you know, I don't know, being a writer or being a blogger or being, you know, being a, dare I say, a Christian. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't even do that anymore. No, I can't. No, I find that difficult. I find that difficult because mm-hmm. that's in, that brings with it so many um, limitations and restrictions, doesn't it? You know. Absolutely. I mean, I love Jesus, you know, and I follow, try to follow Jesus, but Christian seems so restrictive. But yeah, well, it feels I'm, like a club. It feels like a club nowadays. Like, yeah. if you can like check, if you can check these boxes, you're a Christian. Like, I can't. I don't know. I don't experience faith like that at all. I feel like it's a current. Yeah. It's not like a club you belong to. It's like a current you're surrendered to. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes you different places every day. So it's not anything that I can. I can't fit into a box. Fit it into a box at all. I just feel like you have to just be surrendered to it, and it just kind of, well, where it takes you, it always takes you to people you're afraid of. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All those takes you to people you're afraid of. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, in my right now, my life I'm is um yeah, God chose to speak to me about some really difficult stuff that I'd been burying for twenty years, right at the point where I was I'm about to uh, be made redundant and um you know, that kind of thing. You know, so all this like uh, it's not a coincidence. I not, I don't believe in that. <laughs> it's like so you're just taking me into this most unstable place, this dark place in my life right at the time when I'm really, really unstable in my actual day-to-day life as well, you know. Um, Oh, James, we're like soul siblings. Yeah. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, that's what happened to me. So so when this god-awful stuff happened with Craig and my whole marriage fell apart, so what happened is I ended up back in therapy Mm. for the millionth time and figured out that I was having all kinds of intimacy issues. So intimacy is like the podcast fancy word for sex. Okay. Yeah. So basically <laughs> I, I, I'm not supposed to say sex because God no. doesn't know about it. Yeah. Cause yeah. God, God didn't invent sex. God, God no, sex, sex is evil unless you're married. Intimacy. Yeah. But yeah. Right. And when right. you get married, once you are married, it's perfect. Obviously like I actually just wrote a blog post for somebody about sex. Cause I'm like, well next, next March I officially become, I officially become a forty-year-old virgin, you know. So, um, <laughs> oh my God, James! I grew up in the I church. Love it. I was a goody two-shoes, you know. I grew up in the church. Always did the right thing, you know. Uh-huh. I've had girlfriends, you know, but um, yeah. So, um, but a friend of mine was writing a blog series on purity culture, and she's a feminist. And she was writing about purity culture and how bad it can be, 
And I was trying to give a different perspective because we don't have that over here, the whole purity culture thing. Uh, and we have the whole Christian don't have sex before marriage thing, but we don't have it as like a cultural thing. Um, and from somebody who's not married and hasn't ever got, hasn't got any experience of that kind of thing, it was, yeah. So yeah, God doesn't talk. <laughs> God doesn't talk about uh-oh. sex. We're not allowed to talk about uh, it. Definitely uh, not in church, right? Anyway, yes. But I, what happens? I don't know about what happens with guys, but I think that what I figured out happened with me is that. Well, I mean, so we're all trinities, right? Like God is, we're body, mind, and spirit. And yeah. I think the healthiest of us live out body or lives of the body, lives of the mind, and lives of the spirit. But what happens to a lot of girls in our culture is that we get so many confusing and shameful messages about sex in our bodies. Mm. We stop identifying with our bodies completely, right? We don't, we don't think anymore about our bodies as, like, divine and as part of us equal to our, our body, equal to our mind and our spirit that we can actually like offer love and receive love with. We don't think Mm. because we're so objectified, right? So we're so objectified by the culture that we end up objectifying ourselves. So we don't worry about like, um, we care more about being desired than we do about desiring. Mm. Right. And we care more about being wanted than we do about wanting. And we care more about um, what we look like than what we're look, looking at. So we as women actually become the objects of our lives as opposed to the subjects of our lives, mm. right? Yeah. Which makes yeah. sex so freaking confusing later because, I mean, you, I end up just, I would float above myself just feeling completely used and angry. So anger and sex were all Oh, mixed up together yes, yeah. which if you talk to women that's like a theme for us that's why all the freaking models look so angry all the time like it, you look yeah. at the Victoria's Secret models they're all so pissed right we like yeah. <laughs> anger and sex are just like this in our culture yeah oh um, yeah definitely yeah yeah but then but then this is what I figured out with Craig is that so so I'm ashamed out of my body right I can't receive love or give love with my body I don't even get it and then Craig I think what happens with guys and this is an overgeneralization but but it's totally true, whatever. So, so men have the same situation, except they get their emotions voted off the island early, you know, because men don't, don't cry, don't feel. Mm. So, mm. so men disassociate from their, their emotional lives. And then we try to freaking marry each other. Right. Yeah. So, so Craig is trying to love me with his body and I can't feel it. I can't receive it because I don't live there. Yeah. And I'm trying to love him with my mind, and he can't receive it because he yeah, doesn't live there. So we're so just true. missing each other. Yeah, that happens right? so much. And it's because we're not whole human beings. That's right. Yeah. Right? So that's that scripture. Like, be whole just as God is whole. We changed yeah. it to perfect in the Bible, but that's bullshit. The, the original yeah. word means whole. Yeah. And the whole right? thing, but there's also that thing of, like, that I think the church tries to do, even Hollywood tries to do, is that. Oh no, men men are this and women are that. But if they come together, then they'll be whole, because they're, they're ba- because they'll balance each other out. You know, like the 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 areas that the guys are deficient in, the women will be okay. And the women that the areas that the women are deficient in, the guys will be okay. But it doesn't work like that. It's just that we're not. Neither of us are whole human beings, and just just getting married isn't going to suddenly make us into whole human beings. No, yeah. it makes it complete. Oh God, and and that's like the whole Disney shit. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. All you have to do is get to the freaking wedding and then you'll never be lonely again. And then you'll just, you know, oh. everything will be happily ever after and the Jerry Maguire and you'll complete me and all oh, of that. It's just, yeah. 
that's not it doesn't work and then everybody no, ends up disappointed it really doesn't work like that no. No. no and it takes two whole people you know you nobody completes anybody like you need two whole no. people ultimately it's like actually I, heard, I saw i heard a great metaphor for marriage once it was like there's two candles and there's a candle in the middle or something like that uh, you don't put the two, the two the two people are still separate but there's just the relationship in the middle yeah yeah, yeah. Like two the people. space between yeah. yeah that was from yeah. Donald Miller I read that um, Scary Close it's a really great book on relationships um, yeah. and of course it's or the Rob Khalil Bell. Gibran the Khalil Gibran I love so much about the two strings on a violin yeah like it plays beautiful music together but they're two separate beings and that's what Craig and I had to figure out with Love Warrior like we when when all of that went down it was super super clear to me that that there's no way on God's green earth that I could save my marriage like it, mm. it's not possible for one person to save their marriage like the best you can do mm. is use a crisis like that to become the strongest version of yourself that you can possibly be yeah so I knew I was going to use it to, I didn't know if it was going to be a redemption story for my marriage. I knew that it was going to be a redemption story for me. Yeah. You know, and I went into my own healing. It felt like, it felt like there were, Craig and I had separate healing paths and I had to walk mine and he had to walk his. Yeah. And we both did. And that's what the story of Love Warrior is. It's just about, I remember getting into the car. So there was that therapy session when it all like fell apart mm. and I got into the car and I remember thinking, okay, I'm not what just happened to me, but I actually probably am whatever I do next. That's yeah. going to define me, right? Yeah. And so what the next couple of years was about was just I figured out I had to unlearn every single thing I'd ever learned about what it meant to be a woman in our mm. culture, about what it meant to be a person of faith, and about how I define myself. You know, wife, mother, career woman, none of them are good enough. The only the only thing that I use to define myself now is child of God. Like, that's, that's mm. the identity that I was born with. That's what I'll go out with. And it's the only identity that nobody can take from you. Yeah. Yeah, I always right. say, I think, I've always, I, I've always said that our identity has to be in... And people who know my work will know that I've written about this a lot. But um, our identity has to be in who we are, not what we do or any role that we play. It's like your identity is that you are enough and that you belong and that you are loved and acceptable and as you are, just as you are, like with your imperfections. Not with not like when a baby is born, its parent like good parents will just they'll just love it straight away, him or her, whoever it is, you know. My sister's about to have her first baby, and she will love that. But she already loves that baby, and it doesn't even hasn't done anything yet. You know, it hasn't even been born yet. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, ain't done anything, and it, and that's how God. I'm convinced that's how God sees us. Like it's just you don't have to do anything to prove yourself. You know, you're just loved and accepted and worthwhile as you are. You don't have to do anything to make yourself worthwhile. You don't have to be a. Um, you don't have to be married. You don't have to be a good husband or wife. You don't have to be have a successful career you don't have to whatever anything you're just enough already and if we realize that that would liberate us so much oh god it's so true <laughs> we're all just trying to get back to that original naked unashamed grace yes just loved exactly as we are mm. yeah 
I mean, it's not a good way to run an economy, right? No. So, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not That's why none of us believe it, because we live in an economy that tells us we have to get better, 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 self-help, 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 because that's what sells. But none of it's true. We're fine as we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, why you can't serve God in money, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so what have you learned in these, in these like, couple of years? What, what did you learn about relationships and about and about yourself, what were the lessons, big lessons that that you got from that? Not just in terms of your identity, but in about how to deal with life. You know, how to deal with day to day little conflicts that come up, which kind of wind us up. You know, those kind of things, and and the big things. Well, I mean, one thing I've learned is that the tough times are the good times. Like, I really, really do believe that. Like, when everything falls apart, that's when you should start paying attention that's when the lessons are coming, right? I think, I mean, I've learned to deal with pain, to really appreciate pain, actually, because I think I was a person who the first 25 years of my life just ran from pain completely because Mm. I thought I couldn't handle it. You know, that's what addiction is. It's just a place where you hide from pain. Mm. Um, And then I'm just doing this second part of my life in the opposite way. I'm just running towards pain, every like my own personal pain every single day, and it's changing everything. You know, it's like, I feel like a, one of those scientists who, like, finds this, like, substance underground that could change the whole world. And that's how I feel about my pain. I feel like it's something, like, a fuel that can be burned to get my work done here. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think that if we changed our ideas about pain. So let me tell you this. I was in this yoga class, right, mm-hmm. when all of this stuff was going down. Okay, when my family was falling apart when I had no clue what was going to happen in the future, right after the therapy session. And James, it was two weeks before my book came out, about which I was a marriage and family expert. Okay? Whole family is like in flames. So I'm in this yoga class, just hating my life, just hating my life. And it was one million degrees in the yoga room because it was this hot yoga class. Do you guys have that there? Hot yoga. I think we do, yeah, uh, probably. Okay, so it's really intense. And I was there on this morning, and I was um, just devastated about everything that was falling apart in my life. And um, the yoga teacher walks in and says, welcome to hot yoga. And she asks us our intention. And I burst into tears in the middle of the yoga class. Mm. And I said, my intention is just to sit on this mat and handle whatever's about to happen here without running out the door. And she said, okay, you just be still. And James, I sat there for 90 minutes, and I thought it would be easy to just sit there, right? Mm. But it was the hardest 90 minutes of my life because what I figured out is that I've been running so fast to distract myself from the pain of my life that I hadn't sat with it at all. So during that 90 minutes, I just sat there and cried and pulled out like from underneath my bed every single ghost that I'd hidden there from when I was little like what you talked about in the beginning like you're being forced to to face it all right all your Mm. your childhood stuff Mm. um and then like all my fears for my family's future started popping up in front of me so it was like a like this sadistic game of whack-a-mole you know where all the moles are like your worst fears but you have no mallet 
And I just sat there and cried and faced all of it. And I think I was like fully human for the first time ever without numbing, you know, or running mm. or distracting myself. Yeah. And so at the end of the yoga class, the, the instructor comes over and she leans over to me and she says, that was the journey of the warrior. And I was like, what? So I get in my car and I'm driving home and I have this like deja vu moment. So I get home and have you heard of the, the Buddhist monk um, Pima Chodron? No. If you haven't, you need to read all of her books, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm driving okay. home and I pick up this book off of my coffee table and I had been highlighting it but I didn't understand it till that moment in yoga. And it said this, if you can sit with the hot loneliness for 1.6 seconds today, when yesterday you could only sit with it for one, and that is the journey of the warrior. And James, I just sat on the floor and cried because I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing since I was 10 years old. I've been running from the hot loneliness. So when I was 10 years old is the first time that I ever became um, like conscious of my negative feelings, right? Of like anger and, mm. and loneliness and left out and otherness and fear and um, envy and all of these things. And since we only talk about like shiny, happy feelings in our culture, I thought there was something wrong with me. Like mm. I thought that this was, these feelings were something to be ashamed of or at least to be numbed. And so James, what happens right when we start feeling our hot loneliness is that the world starts showing us easy buttons, right? Mm -hmm. Like, remember those Staples commercials? Did you guys have the Staples commercials where, like, the offices would be really stressful and then this red easy button would pop up? Okay, Staples over here, but, yeah. You don't have Staples. Okay, so this red easy button would pop up and somebody in the office would press the easy button and the whole office would be transported out of this, like, stressful place into this pain-free place. So I started thinking of the easy buttons as things that we use to numb any sort of pain. Like mine was um, booze and drugs and food, but like some people's is sex and other people's bodies and unkindness. It's like whatever we use to tap out of the ickiness. Yeah. Right. So what happens when we do that, when we tap out, when we transport out of our pain is we miss all of our transformation. Yeah. Because all of the like wisdom and courage and all of it, everything that we need to become the people who we're meant to be is actually inside of our pain. Yes. Right? Yes. So when we tap out, yes. we yes. are like caterpillars who jump out of the cocoon right before we would have become butterflies, right? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like we think pain is a hot potato to get rid of. No. That's like, and unkindness, oh my God, every time anyone is unkind to you, it's because they just felt the hot loneliness, but they don't know how to be still with it, so they just pass it on to the next person. Right? Anybody who's unkind just is somebody who doesn't know how to be still with pain. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so I started figuring out that, oh my God, like pain is not a hot potato. It's like the wisest people I know are the ones who know that pain is just like a traveling professor and it just knocks on everyone's door. And yeah. the wisest people just say, come yeah. in and sit down and don't leave yeah. until you've talked to what I need to know. I don't, have you, I don't know if you've read or, or read the book or seen um, a Fault in Our Stars. Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a quote in that which is, um, which is amazing. It's... Um, Pain demands to be felt. Yes. I yes. love that quote. And guess what happens if we don't feel it? Our people do. Yes. So that's what I did. Like, I was a drunk. I, I refused to feel my pain. So guess who felt it? My parents, my sister, my friends. Craig refused to feel his pain. So he just used other people's bodies as an easy button. And so guess who he passed it to? Yeah. Me. Yeah. My kids. Yeah. So you either... Feel your pain and you're still with it 
and you let it become the fuel that you need to use to get your work done on the world in the world, or you refuse to feel it and you just pass it on to everybody. That you oh wow, that is oh that's so true, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um. but I mean, I think you know, in order to to rush towards our pain instead of away from it, we have to actually believe that we can take it, mm. right? We have to we have to change our thinking, so we have to stop being afraid of pain, and we have to start being afraid of the easy buttons. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, you're a you're a Jesus guy. So, I mean, I think that the reason that we think we can't take our pain is because we live, we, we get most of our messages every day from advertisers, okay? Mm, yeah. So we are, we, we are what we consume, 90% of every message that we hear ever is from advertisers, okay? So what is the advertiser's goal for us? Like, their goal is to convince us that we're not depressed because life is depressing, we're mm. not sad because life is sad. Yeah. It's because... We just need these countertops or jeans. Or if we if we think we're like one purchase away from happiness, we will keep buying and buying and buying until we die because you can never get enough of what you don't really need. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like so. Yeah. Basically. Right. Yeah. So the, the whole economy's job is to sell us easy buttons. Yeah. Market right? market economy consumerism is your life sucks because you don't own our product. Basically. Of course. That's uh, it's not. It's not doing a great job. Yeah, and it's not right. because you're just. It's not because, you know, things are going wrong in your life, or because you've, because you've got insecurities and you feel inadequate, or, or because you know whatever, or because you've got no. pain you're not dealing with. It's just because you haven't got what we want to sell you, and if you pay us right. money, then we'll solve your problems. You know. Right. You and, don't need your pain. You just need this toothpaste. Yeah. Right. Okay? That's the whole thing. Yeah. But so that's one story, right? That's one story. That's our culture story. But there's another story that's been told by every single spiritual, great spiritual leader in the history of the world, right? Mm. Which is that you absolutely do need your pain, okay? Buddha, life is suffering, all right? Yeah. That's like the first noble truth, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, from the princess bride, <laughs> what does he say? He says, life is pain, highness, and anyone who tells you different is trying to sell you something. Right. And then we've got our guy, Jesus, who is like walked right towards his own crucifixion. Yeah. So we think about Peter the night before the crucifixion. OK, so Peter, a little bit slow, didn't know what's going on, figures out the night before the crucifixion, what's happening. And he goes mm -hmm. up to Jesus and he's like, OK, I just figured out what's going on. You're going to get killed tomorrow. We don't have to do this. You don't need that. Pain. You're God. Let's get the hell out of here. Right. And Jesus looks at him and it says, get behind me. I actually do need that pain. Like, that pain is my story. There's no glory in our lives without walking straight through the pain, without walking straight through the story. Yeah. There is no, there's no resurrection without the crucifixion, right? For that's any not, of us. That's what, that's one of the things that actually that I, that annoys me about the church is that often we go straight to Sunday and it's like, hey, it's all celebration and Jesus is alive and isn't, it, isn't life great? And it's like, yeah, but Jesus had to die for that to happen. Like, Jesus right. had, to, he had to suffer, like, the worst kind of execution ever invented by man for that to happen. Like, <laughs> it wasn't you know? freaking pretty, right? It isn't for any of us. It's not pretty. 
Yeah. And all of our problems come from trying to get to the resurrection without the crucifixion. Yes. All of them. Yes. That's the pattern of life. First the pain, then the rising. First the pain, then the rising. Actually, no. It's first the pain, then a lot of freaking confusing waiting. Yes. Not know what the hell is going on. Yes, that's kind of where I am, yeah. <laughs> then the rising. Um, right? it's, 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 it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, Thursday, Friday, actually, Saturday, yeah, Sunday. the Saturday. People never talk about Easter Saturday. Because... On that day, there's nothing. No, Saturday it's, sucks. Saturday like, sucks worse than Friday. It's empty. It's like, where's Jesus? Jesus is gone. What do I do now? I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen next. So where am I? What's going to happen now? Like, we never talk about that. I never, I've never heard a sermon no. on that, ever. And it's so, it's like, abyss. it's just so, oh, yeah. yeah. It's the abyss. But it's, it's also when all the magic is happening, right? It's like winter. <laughs> It's like you can't see anything. It's all frozen. And it's cold. But actually, that's when all of the roots are growing, right? That's yes. when, like, all the magic is happening underground. You just have to freaking wait. Yes. You just have to wait, which is why Easter Sunday and spring are the same, right? It's like new life is coming. Yes. Just got to wait. Yeah. 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 Waiting is hard. Saturday's hard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to, I do want to um, say something about what's happening with you at the moment because um you wrote on your on your blog um recently that uh, your marriage is ending yeah yes and um yeah you give me permission to ask you about this so just want to clear that for listeners that i've got permission to ask about this um just i don't even know what to ask really it's just um what has what are you how is that impacting your your life and your faith and what are you learning from it yeah well, I mean, so uh, how has it, it impacted my faith? That's a good question. I mean, I guess I was talking to a friend the other day about it, and, and she, we said something about a failed marriage, like the marriage failed. And I don't feel that way at all. Like, I feel like the marriage is complete. Mm. It's complete. You know, it did what it was supposed to do, which it turned both Craig and I into healthier, wholer, um, more loving braver human beings and we were for sure healing partners for each other um and now it's complete Mm. right um and how it affects my faith is not at all except for strengthen it i mean i i think it's so hilarious that christians are always so afraid of divorce right it's like yeah that is institutional that's not from god it's like we are a faith who believes completely in the death of something in order for there to be new life yeah. That counts for marriages too, right? Like sometimes something has to die in order for there to be new life. Yeah. And and James like because I will tell you that I've gotten a lot of mixed messages from people in the church about the ending of my marriage. Right. Um which because like a lot of shame stuff. Yeah. Um, from the, from the institutional thinking. So I just feel utterly adamant about reinforcing the truth that God loves us more than any institution that God made for us. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the day my parents, the day my dad, t- I'll never forget it, I was 18, my dad, I'd just done my last um, A-levels, which is the exam we do before university, and my dad sat me down and said he was he was leaving. And I, and honestly... I felt relieved. I was. I wasn't like sad. Mm-hmm. 
I wasn't angry. I was actually relieved. And it's like, finally, you've just, just decided to do this. This what you should have decided to do probably a couple of years ago, you know, um, because it had been so difficult at home for so long. Right. And so, and it was right that it ended, you know, and they became, eventually they became friends again, you know. And my dad, I know okay. my dad still misses her, you know, um, you know, because she passed away and um, I know my dad still misses her. But it was right that it ended. Um, and it just happens like that sometimes, you know, that's just, that's, that's, that's the real world, you know. Real world. And it's not just the real world, it's, it's the cycle of life. Yeah. Right, there's often, there are often things that have to die in order for there to be new life. And, and the thing is that, like, nothing, nothing separates us from the love of God. Like, not, not death and sure as hell not divorce, yeah. right? I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many women have said to me, it's like, it's like people, women get confused about there being a difference between leaving a man and leaving God. Mm. Big difference, right? It's, it's like a very patriarchal idea that if a woman leaves a church or leaves a man, that mm. that's the same as leaving God. But when a woman leaves a man, she just brings God with her. Yeah. Right? She leaves God there and brings God with her. Yeah. Nobody's leaving God. That's right. Ever. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, ever. Like, right. No, not, but, you know, like, it's, it's like, I think, yeah, sometimes I think the church, and I must generalize when I say the church, because not all sure. churches are like this. You know, I know my church isn't like this, and, and there's a lot of churches that aren't like this, but a lot of the evangelical what we would call the evangelical church can be like this and um, can be, you know, that nothing can separate you from the love of God except for... Except. Sec- so, sec- so if anyone says except, I... Except I for your gender or your um, or your sexuality or whether you're divorced or not or or whatever, you know. Um, and it's, that's ridiculous. You know, that's not grace at all, is it? Um, um, church has no, to be... No, I mean, any accepts. I yeah. don't listen to anyone who adds an accept or but yeah. no, no. So I don't know. I guess James, if the, the divorce has made me um, kinder, I think it's made me kinder, softer, more gentle, more understanding of um, anyone in a situation where they thought things would be one way and they actually are another way, mm. right? Which is a large part of life. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't feel... There's no part of me that feels any sort of failure. Like, I just think love doesn't mm. fail. You know, love didn't fail quite in me. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It turned us into wholer, braver, kinder um, human beings. And now we will love each other in a different way. Mm. Outside of marriage, and and it's very very interesting, James, because there is kind of a higher love that kicks in, because yeah. now it's it, right. It's like this love that does not possess each other anymore, so it really can only be for the good of each other and for the good of our kids. Um, yeah. And and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this because I'm like a Christian, so I'm supposed to be you know like wearing a hair shirt now and beating myself up about this, but I'm not. I'm excited. I feel like really excited about this new time in my life. Um, I'm curious to see what we like as like this forty-year-old yeah. single person. <laughs> yep. Okay. 
Yeah, and I'm just, um, I mean, I don't know. I think we can be scared or curious, right? Yeah. So I'm just, um, I'm just curious, and I'm walking my kids through it and trying to, re- trying to like, drink my own Kool-Aid and remember that my job as a parent is not to protect them from pain, but to walk them through it yeah. and to remind them that this is part of their story and it's made for them and they can take it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, just one, I'm just going li- to ask one little last question. Um, okay. One sentence, or basically. Um, what would you... What message of hope would you want to bring to somebody who's going through something, some really difficult pain at the moment? What would you, what word of wisdom or encouragement or hope would you bring to them? All right, so it's not going to be a sentence, but listen, James, this is what I would tell them. So like two weeks after, no, it was six days, six days after I got the news, the news in therapy, I was at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I was looking really bad. I hadn't showered for six days, which I actually remember it had been six days because I was like, this might be a record. Like, I might be able to break a record for how gross you can be. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, knee-deep in rock bottom and, like, doing my depression thing. I was at the grocery store, and the cashier asked me for my ID, and I handed it to her. And she looked at it, and she said, Glennon, that's a pretty name. What does it mean? And I said, oh, it's an Irish last name. It means girl from the valley. And then, James, I just started cracking up because I was like, oh, my God, this is wild. Like, I live my life with my ass in the valley. And I thought this was my fault, but, like, maybe I've been cursed. Like, maybe my parents did this to me. And her eyes got really wide, and she handed me my ID back, and she said, listen, don't knock the valleys. Everybody wants to be on the mountaintops, but up there, the air is so thin you can hardly breathe, and all there is to do is stand still and try not to fall. But in the valley, that's where the river runs. That's where all the power is. And I thought, oh my God, that is so freaking true. We have it all backwards down here. We want to be so amazing, and we all want to be like scaling all these mountaintops. But if what we're here to do is like really feel ourselves beloved by God, and like learn, I really think loving and learning is the only two things are the only two things we're here to do. That happens for me in the valleys, mm. like in the hard times. So I think what I'd say to people who are in the valley right now is just be still. Like don't try so hard to climb out of it. Just like sit by the river and um, be as still as possible and try to see and try to feel and try to learn because everything that you need for your next climb will come to you in the valley, mm. right? Well, Glenn Doyle, Melton, it is, been, I've loved talking to you. It's been so, so good to have you um, on the podcast. Thank you for, for coming on. Thank you for being so honest as well. Um, it's been James, fantastic. thank you for being so honest, and thank you for being such a gentle soul in the world. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you so much. That's really encouraging. Thank you. Um, great. Well, um, that's it today uh for, for that's it for today's episode everyone um take care and um, we will talk soon